0: This episode of NerdCognito is brought to you by CrudForge. You know CrudForge, they make amazing and hilarious board games with a slight political bent. You can pick up Virtue Signal, which is a great starter game to bring some, well, Virtue Signaling card battling action to your table. Or you can pick up the big daddy of them all, Portland Occupied Zone, where... You know, you burn down a section of Portland in in fun, in peaceful protest, and try to be the best slacktivist that exists. You can get them all at crudforge.com. Right now, with free shipping, Crudforge is a great supporter of our show, and if you've been following them, they're the former Incel Riot Studios, they've been effectively, well, canceled into the ground by you know who so there's no better place to pick up a great game for your table than at shop.crudforge.com they support us you should support them now on with the show Hey, 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 welcome everybody. My name is Ryan David and you're tuning in to another episode of Nerd Cognito. You know, those guys that people tell you not to listen to if you're in super secret shady dark rooms. <laughs> uh, like to talk about everything in the nerd culture skewed a little bit towards the tabletop role playing game, but I can't talk about it by myself. I have to do it with my good friends. First of all, Bert, welcome. Welcome back, I should say. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? It is going well. I'm glad that, uh, whatever demon that was living somewhere between your keyboard and the internet has been expelled at least this week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, a few exorcisms, you know, a little Latin, some holy water. It's all
0: good. It's all good. Um, You, you, I am still disappointed that you didn't get to see and experience Randy Looney, but we did do it via phone last week. It was a good time, uh, worked out well. (laughs) Don't you think Kyle? Hey Kyle.
2: Yeah. It was a funny little bit there. I like to see Randy get a little fired up sometimes. I'm glad to have Bert back. I am glad to have Bert back too. Uh,
0: this week we have some, some interesting things on the docket for the old nerd Cognito, First and foremost, we are going to talk about good and evil and the gray area that's in between and how this balance, or I guess the the philosophy of good and evil, plays out at your table. How does it impact the things that you do? How does it manipulate you as a DM, your players, and how does it impact your game? Uh, everybody likes, you know, good conquering evil unless you're specifically playing like an evil campaign, but I think it's trite and overused. And you know, one of the things that everybody talks about is the constant alignment battles. I don't want to get too deep into that. I want to talk about the cosmic good and the cosmic evil in this segment. Uh, We have the news as always, Bert, your beloved planescape launched. We're going to talk about that in the news.
1: Oh my. Okay. Uh, Did you see I did not see. I Oh, been... this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I
0: usually don't, you know, reveal what's in the news just quite yet, but I figure you better strap in and get a puke bucket ready. <laughs> so <laughs> Planescape is ready. And then after the news, we are going to talk about where we draw other influences from. I recently played a game that I had my eye on since it was, you know, in beta testing. But the release passed me by because my life was a whirlwind, but I picked it up this week and I couldn't put it down. I literally finished it this morning, but it provided me with a lot of different things that are going to weave and werve their way into my table. So I want to talk to you guys about how other media influences our choices as Dungeon Masters. Sound like a plan? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. All right, good, 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 good. Well, then, without further ado, we should pop right into it. Ugh. Oh, good and evil. know, Uh-oh, that, that's a nefarious <laughs> laugh, Kyle. It's so basic. It's so black and white. But is it? I know for me, it's not. I can't decisively say... Any of the last, let's say, five campaigns that I have run have been a pure good versus evil campaign. I seem to always fall in the gray area. Imagine that. What do you think of when you think of the presentation from a top level looking down of good versus evil as it applies to role-playing? Kyle?
2: Oh, you got to go to me first, don't you? I do, Um,
0: because I'm evil.
2: (laughs) I think there's a place for it if that's the sort of thing you want to do. If you want those sorts of the universal good and universal evil and you're going to do some sort of epic campaign, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, Lord of the Rings is a huge influence uh, on on fantasy RPGs. When it comes to that sort of thing be quite honest when when i was playing uh first edition um early on none of that really came up all that i mean yeah i mean you got the alignment stuff and everything but it that was more for just like honestly the spells and the creatures that you'd meet you know right because if you see an orc they're evil and you kill them yeah protection (laughs) from evil yeah detect evil detect good um you know and then here comes you know the undead they're always evil right so um but as far as these sorts of grandiose concepts or, or overarching concepts of uh, good and evil it just never really came up that much um and honestly you know when you get to be a certain age like me you kind of start to realize that the world's there's a lot of gray area in the world sure. anyway <laughs> And that kind of, and that kind of bleeds in some, some real life experience kind of bleeds in. So I don't, I'm not a, I wouldn't say that I'm opposed to it. I just don't use it that much. I wouldn't, I would be a fan of it if it's done properly. I love Lord of the Rings.
0: I think it's interesting that you brought up, and it was something that I didn't even think about going into this segment, you know, protection from evil, right? I distinctly remember having at least the internal conversation about, If I am an evil in air quotes or quasi evil or some form of neutral character that is morally malaligned and I cast protection from evil, (laughs) what is going to happen? If I cast protect, because I, I, and I put myself in the Demi Lich's shoes. If I cast protection from evil, from my perspective with my alliance to my gods would that not be effectively in the text a protection from good spell
2: oh yeah and that's why there was uh, that spell was reversible which is which is specifically for that reason that's a part of the reason the game was based on a lot so much was because of that but to get back to the original uh, what what your original question was is i i think that it's important to Even though I don't, I'm not a real user of it. I think it's important to have that there because this sort of concept that there is no good and there is no evil, there's only perspective, is honestly the realm of the sparkle troll, right?
1: (laughs) You know, they say that every villain believes he's the hero of his own story, right? I know, I do. So, so (laughs) I I think that what you know, Ryan, in the situation you have to talk, you're talking about, you have to kind of separate. You know, the philosophy of good and evil and the uh, point of view of that character from the game mechanics. For me, good and evil boils down to two things the system and the players at the table. You know, some systems are locked into rigid alignments, which means that those alignments are going to affect how your characters perform and how the actions that your characters are going to take. Some are more morally ambiguous. Um, Some, you know, good will never overcome evil. How many times have you lost playing Call of Cthulhu? (laughs) Every Um, time.
3: (laughs) Every time.
1: It was go insane and die. That was how Call of Cthulhu ended most sessions. But, you know, it's going to really depend on the mechanics of good and evil. You can have, you know, those great, you know, black and white, you know, diametrically opposed forces, good and evil, fight for what's right or you know, try to wipe everything out, but only certain systems really, you know, make that possible. If that makes sense.
0: It does. And one of the things that I love, absolutely love, I get giddy and this is wrong, but I don't care. I'm, I'm a horrible person, but I, I, I enjoy when we're sitting down with a group that's starting a new fantasy campaign at my table, knowing that I have a lot of range in the ambiguity area and someone sits down to play a paladin. And the reason that I love it isn't because I'm eventually going to strip them of their their powers, which has happened almost every time. I don't... Okay, I do take a little bit of joy in that, but it, it happens every time. But that's not why. I love it because... It is diametrically opposed to the world. And I really applaud the folks that want to play a paladin in those settings. Uh, A group that I used to play with for many, many years uh, always challenged me. And they said, the next time. And we were in like a, a, a years-long campaign, so the next time was, was going to be years away. But they said, the next time we play D&D, you have to play a paladin, Ryan. Because we don't think you could do it as a person, <laughs> as a player, <laughs> um, but you have to play a paladin. Now, that next time never came, and I regret not being able to play that paladin because I think I would do it very well,
1: right? <laughs> sure, but they were sure. so used uh, reminder to reminder again to our listeners never fill out ryan's safety tools <laughs> when he gives them to you <laughs> no but they were so used to and in that
0: campaign i was playing a pretty nasty thief right i i i was i was the epitome of a true neutral now if you ask our friend dan He will tell you, no, no, Ryan, you were lawful evil. But I, I maintain that I was a true neutral in that, (laughs) Um, but they wanted me to really stretch and push myself from their perspective. And I think they thought, oh, you know, Ryan, he's kind of projecting who he is into this character and turning it up because I wasn't a really nice guy back then. Um, I wasn't, as opposed to now. I <laughs> am. I'm. I'm fucking rainbows and sausages, man. <laughs> that sounds gross. <laughs> yeah. it, it does. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Rainbows. I think we learned a lot about each other. Well,
2: yeah, you know. Hey.
0: <laughs> Any port in the storm. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they they legitimately, and some of them like ha ha. Dan was in that group. Right. And Dan, I think he knows that I could have done it. But the group was so on the cusp. And this was, we were playing early third edition, I think, at that time. And they were very much on the cusp of what we would now call a danger sort of warning sign to becoming a sparkle troll. There were, there were those sorts of members in that group. I'm sure if I were able to connect with some of those members now, they are full blown pierced septums and skittle hair. But at that time, they were the ones that were pushing and saying, "You, you just can't do it. You just can't do it because they were projecting themselves into their characters. I wasn't necessarily projecting myself into their characters, into my character, I should say. I don't know. Uh, Good versus evil is so important for me because it sets up an unwritten understanding of what's going on. Right. And you can play anywhere within that range. It doesn't have to be the absolute white knight riding in, slaying the dragon, saving the princess. It can be, but I prefer the knight riding in, slaying the dragon, saving the princess, realizing that the princess's dowry was false, ransoming the princess, and, and then moving to another town with a sexy-ass hot goth princess. So, uh. see, the callback is what's funny.
1: The callback, Bert. Um, no, no, it's it's just not that funny, right? Does, does, <laughs> yes, does it make sense that
0: that I'm embracing both? absolutely rigid good and evil with that whole spectrum of gray at the same time or is that just the elder gods finally twisting me up in my brain
2: no i think you're right
1: yeah i mean the the problem that you run into is if your character's lawful good then ransoming that princess then becomes an issue ryan well my character
0: wouldn't be lawful good if i were doing that if i were playing said paladin I'm absolutely not ransoming that princess. I'm returning that princess with her virtue intact to her father and turning down the reward but accepting the knighthood. And people don't think that I have that in me, but I can. I can do it. you choose not to I choose not to because yeah I role play for fun I role play to do the things that I aspire or wish that I could do in life and I don't wish that I could return the princess with her virtue intact I wish <laughs> that I could turn the princess into a fucking sex maniac on the way back <laughs> oh, man you know I want... To possibly leverage that princess into giving me, I don't know, lordship over a quarter of the kingdom. That's what
2: I would do, right? Yeah, to shift gears a little bit, it it reminds me a lot about uh, the old westerns. And you you got the the white hat cowboy and you got all the black hat cowboys, right? And how that plays out on screen. And then later on, uh, you know as Westerns develop, then you got the spaghetti Western come in. Yeah.
0: And that's why a fistful and of right. dollars is amazing. Cause the man with no right. name rides both right. sides,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, he's not a bad dude, but he's he, not a know, good dude, he, but he's not a good dude. He's willing to do some pretty despicable things. But you know, when it comes to like the innocent and the, the, uh, the people that don't deserve it, he either helps them or he leaves them alone. So yeah
0: Yeah, it's it's great and i think that the western and the fantasy novel and genres of movie and game have a lot more in common than people want to admit shout out to our friends at the red room if you haven't picked it up pick up wretched country there is not a better osr western system than that no you're 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 right on the money kyle 110 percent Bert final thoughts. Good versus evil and Paladin Ryan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we all know Paladin Ryan is never going to happen. I, um, I, I, I if you if you're going to DM
0: something down the road that's fantasy, I will play Paladin Ryan.
1: I think that good versus evil is great, you know, as a philosophy, it's good for driving a story and for some games it's mechanically sound, but a lot of times depending on the system it's just not it's not going to be what drives your characters right
0: Kyle any last newsworthy things that you want to toss out there for good versus
2: evil if you play a paladin I want somebody to record it because I want to see that shit (laughs) oh
0: my (laughs) Jesus people (laughs) and for the record Bert my character in Fallout is pretty darn good (laughs) Francois the the very reputable trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, not T-R-A-I-T-O-R. Um, he's done some very noble things. <laughs> For money. All to make all to make a buck. <laughs> <laughs> uh the news this week. Well, before we get to the bad, let's go to the possible good question mark the witcher board game has made its crowdfunding target oh interesting it has blown past the one million dollar mark bert in five minutes really five minutes five minutes as of this recording it is sitting above two million dollars over their stated goal of 75 grand wow yeah wow. the witcher of destiny it's a competitive one to five player but it's a tableau building card game it's not mechanics that are setting the world on fire but it looks like it's done very very
1: well well i mean between the novels the games and the show i mean that property's been hot for a while you know you would expect them to make their funding but in five minutes is impressive
0: Five minutes is very,
1: very impressive. I'm going to throw
0: up an image of what the game has to offer. And we all know enough about the board games that we can, you know, look at this and understand what we're seeing. So it's a very pretty looking solitaire. (laughs) from what i can see right it's solitaire that with great components and what looks to be a worker placement auction mechanic to build your tableau doesn't that setup remind you of ruins of arnak um you know what i never actually drew that comparison as i look at it the board's different right right but yes it is very much a Ruins of Arnak sort of looking game. And as you know, you can't copyright game mechanics.
1: Right. Plus, I liked playing Ruins of Arnak. I don't have a problem with that. It just reminded me of it just from first glance. The standard pledge level is
0: 55 data, right? Um, that will give you the Witcher standard version and any stretch goals. If you want miniatures with your Witcher, it's $85. Bucks and All In is not necessarily available. They're going to tack on things piece by piece as you go through. The deluxe stuff, I could take or leave. I'm going to show you a, a deluxe version here. It is literally a character miniature a double layered player board, so you have inset pieces, right? And, and some pretty fancy looking tokens. Everything else plays the same. I don't know that I see $30 worth of value in that
1: difference. Want to get Ryan's money? Linen finished cards are only available in the deluxe edition. Ryan will pay the 30 bucks. <laughs> Did it say that? No. Oh, <laughs> I was like, that's how they get your money, Ryan. Oh, absolutely. I will pay
0: the $30 for linen cards. It's such a difference. Anyway, uh, congratulations to them. $2 million uh, with, with crossing the 1 million mark in five minutes. They yeah. just made their bones in the board gaming world. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 good stuff. It's good stuff. I don't know that I'm going to pledge it because, let's face facts, it's hit $2 million. It's The Witcher. This thing's going to see a retail release without a doubt. Yeah.
1: yeah, I would definitely play it, but I don't know that I would back it either.
0: Whatever. Geralt can say, mm, fuck, at your table, <laughs> <laughs> all you like. <laughs> a little less serious... And in the vein of our lifestyle brand that we love so much, (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons is going to release funny plush toys. Funny spelled P-H-U-N-N-Y. In April 2024. What is a funny plush toy? Oh, they're so
4: cute. They're so cute. (laughs) I just got to have them. There's a cute little dragon. And there's a cute little. Uh,
1: Ryan, is there a flump?
0: There's not a flump.
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that a flump?
0: <laughs> no. There's not, at least not in the gallery that I'm looking at right now, right? There is what appears to be a plush on keg that's adorable because, you know, <laughs> nothing like a man sized cockroach that comes up at your feet and eats you whole says right. loving yeah is it I the lifestyle know. brand coming to haunt us is it just a cash grab
2: cash grab all yeah. well, right i mean cash grab
1: they had dungeons and dragons action figures like i mean there's merchandising has always been sort of oh, a part of this he, property
2: look at the cute little intellect devourer
0: yeah what do you think of that i think he's pink he he is <laughs> With with purple toenail polish. With purple toenails. Um whatever. It's uh, I'm not gonna fault I'm actually not gonna fault them on this one. Those
2: will sell. I mean, you know.
0: Those will
1: sell. Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean Dungeons and Dragons lunchbox, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, backpacks.
2: I bought I bought a lot of that stuff when I was young. Yeah. Did that back in the T S R days. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a little intellect devourer for my grandson. Only when it shows up at Ollie's so so that we know (laughs) someone already took the hit for it.
0: Um, Let's talk about food, guys. Uh, It's one of those eternal questions, and it's finally been answered. Why do Pop-Tarts, you know, everybody's favorite breakfast pastry, why do Mm Pop-Tarts come in twos when the serving size originally was one? and they come in twos that are foil wrapped so you can't fucking reseal them and you're a fat guy like <laughs> me so you're gonna eat both of them yeah why do they come in twos
1: It's a good question
0: i have the answer i i, I want to hear yeah, your speculation
1: and see who knows i don't know they were meant to be shared
0: no no, no. how noble <laughs> burt Bert. You keep your fucking hands They're off of been... my cinnamon crunch <laughs> yeah kyle why would
2: they come in twos well i mean i would have no idea i mean companies do that a lot though they'll say a serving size is you know whatever and then you know bag of chips lots of times even one like the small ones that you get to go with your lunch or something you read the back of it and it's you know servings per container too
0: (laughs) that's so they could get that
1: calorie count down right
2: yeah yeah this is this is three and a quarter ounce worth of chips you know i'm not (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah i mean everybody knows the serving size on a bag of doritos is bag
2: bag (laughs) but i mean the only thing i can think of is so that whenever you read the nutritional information those numbers are essentially cut in half uh you guys are thinking way too modern the reason it's very practical actually
0: when pop tarts launched way back when The Kellogg's company was not certain that they were going to fly and the equipment that they had on hand could package them in twos and they would have to make a significant (laughs) capital investment to package them into single servings. So they just (laughs) ran them in two and it stuck. Yeah.
1: Okay. They didn't want to retool the uh, production line. Got it. They did not. Yeah. What's your favorite Pop-Tart flavor, Bert? Uh, Frosted cherry. Frosted cherry.
0: Kyle?
2: Frosted strawberry.
0: Frosted strawberry. I'm, I'm with Kyle. Uh, frosted strawberry. Uh, but look, generally speaking, we're, we're pretty classic. Uh, here's what I don't like. I don't like Pop-Tarts that have chocolate in them. I don't either. Mm. Like don't the, either. the, the, the a... s'mores ones. Do you guys yeah. remember the apple pie ones? I do. I do. And the brown sugar and cinnamon ones are good, but they make my teeth itch. There's so much sugar in them. Too sweet. Yeah. Too yeah. sweet. Well, before we hit Planescape, oh. I've got two quickies related to Dungeons & Dragons. Ryan, I'm not having a quickie with you. <laughs> That's okay, Bert. <laughs> I'm not asking for one. Um,
2: <laughs> He's telling you. He's telling you.
0: So there's an old, old middle school joke here. And I'm going to tell it because, Bert, I just pictured you in my mind. Not that way. <laughs> <laughs> and this joke popped into my mouth. There's there's, there's a, a, a guy, and he's on his 10th anniversary with his wife, and she says, honey, it's 10th anniversary, you can have three indiscretions, but they have to happen tonight or it's off the table. And he smiles and goes to the local brothel. And uh, walks up to the madam and says, all right, I want a small-chested redhead, naked, ready to go in room number one. I want a giant-chested blonde, naked and ready to go in room number two. And I want a curvy, vivacious brunette, naked and ready to go in room number three. Madam says, we we can arrange that for you, sir. Uh, He pops his Viagra because, you know, four hours. And heads to room number one, turns on the lights, beautiful girl, does the business, goes downstairs, has a drink, has a cigar, talks to the other guys, heads up to room number two, flips on the lights, knockout blonde bombshell, does his business, goes downstairs, has some dinner, goes back upstairs to room number three, flips the light, light switch doesn't work, light switch doesn't work, now yeah, what the heck. He looks down and he goes, uh, Big Blue's going to wear off. I better just take care of business. He leaves. Madam closes the door behind him. Madam's running down the hall at him. Sir, sir, there sir, was, there's was an electrical problem. He goes, I know, I know. She goes, it's fixed now. Don't worry about it. Goes back into room number three, flips on the light. There's a guy with a full mustache and beard on the floor going, paw, paw, paw. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Bert, you inspired that joke uh, with your beard. No. <laughs> no, Ryan. Good Lord.
1: Okay. What what do we got with D&D, Ryan? Oh.
0: <laughs> After Baldur's Gate 3, I discovered my next multiple-hour time sink. I'm going to play Tavern Talk. It's a barkeeper simulation set in a Dungeons Dragons-style tavern where you're the Dungeons & Dragons innkeeper. You don't actually adventure or go anywhere. You just talk to adventurers that come into your tavern.
1: Yeah. Would you like
4: to drink? Could I get you to sip on something?
1: So it's a Sims game. There are a ton of those out there. This thing doubled. Doubled.
0: Its fundraising goal in three days. They're multiplying, Kyle. (laughs) They're multiplying.
1: Brian, there have been simulator games out for a long time. In fact, you you're addicted to one that you have like a million hours. I'm not
0: pretending that I'm a buxom elf barmaid serving drinks to the people that are doing the adventuring. No, you're pretending you're a city planner. Yes. Because that, that requires my brain. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a visual novel and it's the
4: perfect, cozy, yet intellectually stimulating, but combat free follow up to Baldur's Gate 3. I was so distraught with the violence an inherent need to kill in Baldur's Gate 3 that I'm going to pledge this game to clear my palate.
0: That's you're, a direct quote. You're right. I don't, that I paraphrased, but it's very close. Okay. I don't fault the game. I fault what they're using the game for.
1: Well, I mean, marketing is all about, you know, getting your product in front of people, however you're using it. If it gets sales, then it makes sense, right? Uh, Again,
0: good for the developer for making a buck on these chuckle fucks. But man, man, we're doing, we talked about it on the speak this week. Yeah. Randy said in our lifetime, are we ever going to be able to go back to Dungeons and Dragons? And all three of us said, probably not
2: yeah this seems to help confirm that um and i'm just really kind of wondering about people that would it's not so much that they pledge this game it's the mentality right out there i don't right? care that the game that, exists that's what's scary
1: tapper exist when we when we were kids
2: right right yeah whatever yeah.
1: Sure. serving beers yeah it was a puzzle game there
2: are there are plenty of if, if someone is that Opposed to violence in any form, whether it's, you know, fictitious or otherwise, there are lots of options out there. So why are we bringing it into a game where two thirds of the rulebook is devoted to devoted to combat rules? <laughs> right. right. Go play that cottage
0: core that we talked about before.
1: Right. right. I mean, do you guys think it's these people, you know, I have no problem, you know, if somebody doesn't want to, you know, play games that are violent or watch media that is violent, that's their decision, which is perfectly fine. But do you think it's sort of um, blowback because these titles that are so popular do have that violent element that they're trying to avoid, so they want to try to get their voice out there to... You know, push things the other way,
0: Bert. You're gonna say my name three times after this, and I know it's coming. But no, it's because there's a generation of pussies. Period.
2: Yeah. End of statement. I kind of feel that same way. Ryan. <sighs>
3: Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Yep. See, you there can it say is.
2: say Kyle. Kyle. Kyle too, because I because <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm kind of with him on that. It's like you know, if 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 you're that sensitive to things, man, then then our society as we know it is doomed because. I mean, you're going to have to, you got to, you got to get some tough skin and you got to have a little backbone,
0: right? There's no nice way to say that when you'd rather role play a shift at, as a barista, than taking on count Strahd, there's a problem. There's a problem. And the problem is about four inches equidistant from your ears. And I can't solve (laughs) that problem for you. Right. Wow. Speaking of mental illness, the Potato Paladin is coming back with her deck of many things. Potato! Uh, As you know, (laughs) and Dragons has retconned the creation of the deck Mm -hmm. of many things to be Potato! A self-insert of the game designer, and they have now released the price point and preview of that material. Bert, you now can get an expanded deck of many things up from 44 to 66 cards and a mini source book to be associated with it for the low, low price of what would you pay, Bert? What would you pay? 66 card deck and a mini source book that oh, has the, the, all the stuff that you want about the creation of potato.
1: Ah, Brian, <laughs> Anyway, so for let's see, so it's a D&D supplement, it's a deck of cards and a source book for it, deck of tarot cards effectively,
0: right? Yeah, and a pretty bar. much.
1: So, what are we looking at like 40
0: 50 bucks? You'll be you're, you're you're almost there, you just have to double it. it has an MSRP of 99.99. Yeah, Ooh, okay,
1: it's more expensive than some of the source books, <laughs> sure as shit is.
2: Yeah.
0: now we talked at length about this on the speak but i wanted to get your opinion bert okay i think we came to the consensus that this price point is they know it's not going to sell to a majority of people and they are targeting the folks that buy everything regardless of price they're targeting the equivalent of the magic the gathering whales only they're targeting D D whales now
1: well i mean i can see your point that Sort of has been sort of wizards' procedure for magic the gathering, right? Right. So, are they taking that same model applying it to their other properties? Having you, we've seen you know, supplements like decks of cards, like remember spell cards, or like uh, mm-hmm. you know, there were uh, what was the the dragon's Ta- red dragon tavern or whatever it was, yeah, was the, the, the little game side and, game, and, right? And they were all so about 20 seen, bucks. Right. We've seen supplements like that before, but this price point is way higher. So it's not going to appeal to most people. Like you really have to want the deck of many things for some reason.
0: I, I, you're, you're asking, I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I can think of is they came at this price on a smaller run because they know it ain't going to sell to at least show a level of profit. So on paper, they're able to go to their investors and say, look, this was a niche project and we're not going to, you know, revenue. Yeah, it was smaller revenue, right? We're, we're not giving you the revenue dollar amount. It has a 135% profit margin.
1: Right. Yeah. So do you think you're, you're going to see a lot more of these? Is this going to be like a regular thing, like the secret vault releases
2: for magic or something? Depends on how successful this is, probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: if they can leverage bleeding that core group, Until there's nothing left, they're going to move into it. You know who else did this for and is in the process of doing this as an industry is the wrestling, the professional wrestling industry. Wrestling's audience has shrunk tremendously over the last 20 years. And they went to this model. I've done some homework, and it's ironic that it brought me to wrestling. But they went (laughs) to the model where they are maximizing the profit on the folks that can't say no. So right. Wizards is doing the same thing. They are maximizing the profit on the folks
1: that say potato. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the reasons that I got out of magic. The gathering is because, you know, the, the sets and the secret vault releases and things like that. It was just too expensive. A hobby to maintain. Yeah. And, and dungeons and dragons
0: is going to go there because let's face facts they have to be aware that this core group is just torrenting the world for their books they don't care about authenticity or paying the content creators even though they will preach and scream at the sky over ai art they really don't care about the content creators because in one action they're screaming at you over AI art. And in the other action, they're downloading 500 gigabytes worth of content. Right. Um, they're, they're, they're just going after what dollar there is to have. But that, my friends, that's the news. Mm. You skipped Planescapes. Well, I, I, I was, I'm going to do it on the back end of the news, right? Because I don't want to dedicate a ton of time. I don't actually have an article ready for it. I just have my notes. So, okay. And I'm going to do it in very summary format because I think that it has been well documented. Although it's interesting, this weekend, Sunday morning, I was having a cup of coffee and reading the news. I was having a cup of coffee and reading the news, and uh, the mainstream shills. Are starting to come out because there's so many negative reviews. The big guys, like and the one that sticks in my mind, CNET, now has this article out that says Planescape is like the best setting since sliced bread, which is totally <laughs> contradictory to everything else that has come out. Bert, uh, you're a huge Planescape fan. This was your huh. your setting of choice.
1: Right, I remember, you know, uh, saving my money from my part-time job and buying the box sets in high school and collecting all uh, all of the supplements to run campaigns for my friends.
0: Now, as our resident Planescape expert, is it fair to say that Planescape never took itself too seriously but wasn't necessarily a comedy setting? Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were, like certain areas that were more prone to amusement than others. I mean, you know, depending on, you know, you know, trickster fairies and things like that, but yes, that it was a serious campaign setting, but it had some lighthearted elements in it. Well,
0: the first major change that you'll notice when you pick up the new fifth edition planescape is it's being presented as a comedy setting. They've shifted the dynamic to,
4: oh, that's so weird. It's funny. Oh, that's so weird. It's funny. Oh, that's so weird. It's funny. <laughs> Did you see Jimmy Fallon? His monologue was so weird. It's funny. How,
1: how does that work? How do you make things like the, uh, you know, the abyss or the, you know, the hells amusing?
0: Well, uh, here's how you make it amusing. If your character dies adventuring there, what used to be your options?
1: Mm, it depends on where you died and how far you were for the prime material um yeah but just in yeah. general i mean just just in general if you died there and you weren't on your home plane then you know there were you know you you were pretty screwed <laughs>
0: <laughs> well right. uh, now you just respawn like a video game literally using the term respawn
2: yeah <laughs> really I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's real, Bert.
1: You know, there were planar creatures that when they died, they went back to their home plane. There were ones that died. When they died, they exploded, but right. you don't remember a respawn. Okay. That's strange. That's a video game mechanic. <laughs> yeah. Not really. A... So, so what are the consequences then for that character? Then do you respawn at a lower level or.
2: No, you, you, you respawn. Know? you just respond you just respond No consequences there's no consequences other than you were in you know mildly inconvenienced
1: so so what's you know preventing you from having a you know most extreme death uh you know games with your friends or something you just respond violence we hate violence (laughs) so bert you know the original
0: planescape books they had this whole philosophical debate about what happens in the multiverse and what happens when you shift to different planes that's, right that's entirely been removed planescape now has all of these gag encounters just written into it right there's a vecna impersonator read elvis impersonator that's been written into the game the main mechanic of the game is called a glitch Again, borrowing from Video Game World, that allows the characters to return from the dead as a new variant of themselves. It promotes stupid role-playing, Bert. Hmm. When death isn't holding a player back, there's no limit on what that player is going to do as a PC. Death is a limiting factor. If I am running away from the big bad and he chases me to the edge of a cliff that is certain doom. If I fall off the edge of the cliff, I'm going to jump because there, I mean, there's no consequences for that action.
1: I mean, it's a total tonal shift from what Planescapes originally was. I mean, Planescapes Uh was this complex lore filled, you know, realms of, you know, gods and demons and devils and angels and, and everything in between Elemental Planes and the Astral Plane. But this is, uh, you know, it was.
0: Well,
4: now you can
1: hold
0: hands and skip through Arborea, my friend. Anyway, I, I wanted to drop this on you without going deep, because I don't think any of us are going to buy it, play it,
1: or review it. Ouch. But it now, always hurts when something near and dear to your heart, you know. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about it, Spelljammer
0: Uh,
2: that's been the way of the world for the last several years on a lot of things. at least we'll always have dark sun ryan
1: yeah because they won't touch that with
0: someone else's dick right
1: now yeah yeah
0: oh boy and there's nothing to prevent us from creating our own which is kind of leading to where we wanted to go to wrap up the show we all run or have run a significant number of games in our lives going to continue to run more right i showed you guys the treasure trove that i ordered last week that came in yeah <laughs> that finally completed my first edition stuff by the way bert that completes everything that i lost in the flood when i was in my apartment oh nice yeah congrats so, um i'm i'm i've made whole except for the fact that they're not originals right Anyway, I've been playing the video game Dredge pretty hard late last week. Put in about 20 hours in three or four days. Okay. Beat it. Loved it. And I have so much stuff going through my mind from this fishing game. At its core, (laughs) it's a fishing game. It has some Lovecraftian influences. And it effect- effectively has a Lovecraftian little golden book overlaid as far as the story goes, right? Not big, not a novel, not deep, but good.
1: So this is the game that we talked about on the show a while back. Almost a year ago, right? Yeah. when it-
0: But it's got this great story, great ties. There's nothing that I'm going to lay in one-to-one in a game. But it has all of these things. Things that are bubbling up in the back of my brain that I'm saying, man, this would go great in a campaign. Am yeah. I insane? Ha <laughs> Or is that something that happens to you guys when you see things in media?
1: Immediately, the first thought is, man, I could put this into a game.
2: Oh, yeah, well, I've done it multiple times over the years.
1: Yeah. I mean, we all know you're insane, Ryan. But yes, that uh, that does happen from time to time. <laughs> When's the last time it happened for you? And what was it for me? The, the main trouble I have is bringing NPCs to life. So pulling characters from media, like you take a character from a dystopian movie, you know, adjust their personality a little bit and they make a great NPC because they're kind of unexpected.
0: That's a good idea. And it's something that I don't do. Right. I, I, yeah. I've never actually yoinked someone out and put them in as an NPC. And that's, that's brilliant. Uh, Kyle, What's the last thing that you pulled out (laughs) and then put back in to your
2: session?
0: I'm going to shut up now.
2: Yeah. 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 You had some, you got some interesting issues going on this time, I think, but. Um <laughs> you know, back when I was back, back when I was <laughs> young. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, sorry, sorry, Bert <laughs> uh,
2: when I was younger and stuff and in, in the early years of uh D D, especially in the eighties and stuff, um we used to use you know heavy metal rock lyrics. We'd listen we'd listen to like heavy metal bands, you know, you'd listen to Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or Ozzy Osbourne or something Run like that. To
4: the hill. Yeah.
2: And you'd wind up and you. Then, you know, you'd listen to it while you're sitting there drawing a dungeon map or whatever you're doing. And, and then suddenly you get these inspirations more recently though, to be quite honest, uh, as far as media, I was watching one of those ancient alien type shows, uh, not too long ago. Cause it's I mean, okay. It's what do I, what do I want to say there. It's a guilty pleasure kind of thing. Please Sometimes tell me it had Giorgio
0: Soukakoulos on it.
2: No, no, oh. it did not. It did not, it did not but uh you know they're talking about these uh ancient temples and these ancient ruins and how they're astronomically aligned and you know how this ties into different theories of ancient civilizations and ancient aliens and all that kind of thing but i mean you can easily transpose you know aliens to gods or some sort of evil creature or a horde of demons or what you know you can there's so much you can do with that um but the these sorts of ideas that the, like a, a dungeon itself could be a puzzle people to solve you know what i mean it's like there's there's a layout to the dungeon but there's also because of astronomical alignments or this and you know whatever you can you know that's just an example that you can but that actually means something that if you manipulate things in a certain way that it unlocks this you know some ultimate power or whatever i mean it's you know i don't know i'm just kind of brainstorming that
0: no that's great i i no, I love it. I tweeted about this and caught all shit, all sorts of glittery shit about it. Oh, that's because you're not creative. You can't think of stuff on your own. You're you're pulling from other stuff and putting in. And I was like, no, no, because it, it, I'm not one to one inserting this stuff. I am making it match, and it's just. Freaking inspiration. Again, I'm going to go into the AI art thing because I got beat up last week on AI art. (laughs) Um, But it's the same goddamn thing. It's inspiration. It's inspiration. And there's so much content that mankind has created since man started to draw shit on cave walls. There's nothing that's an original idea anymore. It's just an iteration so yeah, I have no shame in my something. game saying that my iterations are better than yours,
2: bitch. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing though. People talk about creativity and then, you know, it's a lot of it. It is. And everything is a reaction to something else. Historically, almost the, you reach a point during the evolution of human thought over the course of centuries that eventually everything is just, well, it's a reaction to something that came before, or it's a, modification of something that came right. before i mean that's essentially what it comes down to right.
1: right i mean I, I can't disagree with you plus when it comes to creativity everybody has sort of an area if you're if you have any creativity at all you normally have an area where you excel somebody might be good at creating a dungeon but dip, have difficulty creating story some people like me i have no problem laying out an entire campaign i have problems when it comes to the minutiae like giving you're gonna have you know, thirty memorable memorable NPCs in that campaign. You know, I have trouble giving them you know personalities and backstories for all thirty of them. So I will borrow things from you know media, like even if it's just like a way that they talk or you know a little bit of you know what I know about them, a little personality, something to make them memorable for my group because I don't excel at creating them. And this is where,
0: and again. Not a popular opinion, but an opinion that I share. If you have a group that's sizable enough, having multiple Dungeon Masters is a good thing. I had a group that was numbering in the double digits. We went to 11 and 12 at our largest. And we had one person that was mechanics. One person that was story. One person that was combat. And we had three folks that were running the game in tandem That we could jump in and out as needed, but it made for a great experience. Uh, Bert Shocker, Dan, was the uh, mechanics guy.
1: (laughs) Oh, really? No, I would have never suspected that. (laughs) Anyway,
0: I I know people shit on having multiple dungeon masters, but I think it's very good to delegate the strengths that the different people bring to the table if you have a group that can support it. Now, with our group clocking in at like 5, 6... We can't have that luxury. We don't have those numbers right now. I don't know that I want a bigger group because that was a lot to run. And I was also in my 20s. (laughs) And I also, you know, didn't have life commitments and job commitments and those sorts of things. I could do that sort of thing. Anyway, I'm glad to hear that we all pull from different resources and we're not ashamed of it, right? no shame in my game that there's inspiration from whatever. And it it comes through just about everything that we do. And Kyle, I really, really appreciate your thoughts because you really put it into perspective that everything that's happening now is just a reaction or a response to something that has happened before
2: yeah and yeah and i mean if you just just the origins of the game itself the origins of dungeons and dragons when she she launched this hobby right right that was all inspiration arneson and gygax they were inspired by the bronstein and the war games that had come before they were inspired by fantasy novels and appendix and stuff you know if we want to use that term that's right bro and 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 that, well, that was the that was the media of their time, right? That was the media that they were exposed to. I mean, there was television and there was radio, and you, you had some of that, but but for the most part, you know, the media was 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 books for those guys, right? That was the and so that was their source of inspiration, and so they did the same thing that we're doing. But you, but I don't think anybody here would say that Arneson was not a creative person. No,
0: with not without, they would have some sort of brain damage if they did because, right? It's now, do I think that Arneson is the best hands-down designer of all time? Uh, no, but no. I respect where he is historically in writing the blueprints, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I also have a great deal of respect going out to our... Checkmark now through the end of 2023, Cinemander is the big checkmark hero. But we've opened up weekly checkmark heroes. That's right, you can pony up just two dollar, two dollars, and get yourself on the air with a mention as the weekly checkmark hero. Everything is in the same place. Go right to nerdcognito.com. Click on be a checkmark hero at the top of the page. And you will now find a $2 one week donation amount where you can sponsor that blue check mark in tandem with Cinnamander. We're getting the tables set for next year. We really appreciate it. You know that you're going to get a shout out and we're going to say just like we do with Sin. hey, follow Cinemander at C-Y-N-N-A-M-A-N-D-E-R on the Twitter machine formerly known as X and share some love with our check hero. In addition to that, now through the end of October, 2023, you can pick up a sparkle troll t-shirt from the first quarter of this year at bargain basement prices. That's right. There's a second print run going right now, and they are not at obscene fundraising level prices. They are at let's close out the sparkle troll t-shirt prices Uh, if you wanted to grab one or if you want to grab an extra one or if you wanted to upgrade to a premium one, the premium ones are worth the money, man. They are so nice. Now is your chance. Uh, You're able to pick it up at a song, and literally we're only making pennies on each one. There is very, very little markup left on them because we want to go out with a big hurrah. Uh, I don't know. There might be another T-shirt project in the works, but you'll just have to sit tight for that. Boys, anything we want folks to remember before I tell everybody that's listening what we would humbly and sincerely appreciate that they go and do right now and not to their mothers? (laughs) Oh,
1: man, Brian.
0: Again, I'll Uh, take that as a no. Thanks, Bert. (laughs) In that case, take you and your mother over to the podcast provider of your choice and make sure that you are subscribed right then and there that guarantees that you'll get the latest and greatest episode of the podcast delivered to your device every single week when we drop. After you're done with that tell mama to head on over to YouTube and follow us at youtube.com slash at nerdcognito. That's right, we have a baby channel there. It's where you can be a part of the conversation with the speakeasy and you can see old, old archive shows. Of Well, I guess you can listen to old, old archive shows of this, the big show. Uh, But those are the two places we really need actions to be taken. Follow on the podcast provider of your choice and subscribe and ring that bell on YouTube. Mama knows how to ring a bell. That's all we've got for you this week. (laughs) My name is Ryan David. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we had a blast talking to you, and I couldn't do it without my friends, Bert and Kyle, and we will once again talk at you next week. Be safe out there, everybody.
2: I'm tired of all these mother effing Sparkle Trolls on this mother effing Planescape.